Vietnam, of course. You know, he's got emotional problems, man. You mean beyond pacifism? He's fragile. Very fragile. Huh? I did not know that. Well, it's all water under the bridge. And we do enter the next round, Robin. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. Am I wrong? You're not wrong, Walter. You're just an asshole. Okay, then. Play Quintana and O'Brien next week. They should be pushovers. Man, you just... Just take it easy, man. You know, that's your answer for everything, dude. And let me point out something. Pacifism is not... Look at our current situation with that camel fucker in Iraq. Pacifism is not something to hide behind. Just take it easy, man. I'm perfectly calm, dude. Yeah, waving the fucking gun around? Calmer than you are. You just take it easy. Calmer than you are. This is Gutterballs. The Lebowski Deepcast. Like, oh, it's a heist movie. No, it's a stoner movie. In each episode, Brad and Adam discuss a single minute of The Big Lebowski. Welcome to Incest in Space. Providing insight. He's making a ransom letter on his table to swindle money. Commentary. Got my half and half in the bowling ball. I'm going home. And conjecture. His brother is River Phoenix. <laughs> Are they related to Rivers Cuomo? That's one for the canon of the history of film. And now, Gutterballs! No going back now. Can't turn back. No. This, this is the playoffs, man. All right, so pretty much we're done now because I don't think I have anything to say about this episode. I have very little. I have very little, but I think there are a couple meaty bits. There's a couple meaty bits, but it's the kind of meaty bits you're going to scarf down real quick. And I'm just, I'm, here's, this is why I'm saying that. Maybe this time we could actually abide by our rules that we set for ourselves. And keep it to 40 minutes. Maybe, maybe that's a thing that we could do. Let's see. I think it's a challenge. The challenge is on. It's on. All right. Well, we better get down to it, then. We better, well, hey, start doing something, then. Right. I can't possibly talk about anything. I have nothing. That's so untrue. I do have things here. But anyway, you yes. go first. Well, I it. think the biggest question for me, I think the meatiest bit here is, what happens to the dog? The goddamn Thurston. I mean, he's got yes. a name, Brad. Yes. Yes. He has a name, okay? Thurston. The dog. Thurston the dog. This dog has a name? And his name is Thurston. I understand what you're saying, sir. In death, a member of Project Mayhem does have a name. His name was Thurston. His name was Thurston. His name was Thurston. And we all start chanting along. Because, let's face it, similar to Bob, a.k.a. Meatloaf in Fight Club, my contention is that Thurston gets left behind here. Walter is kind of a fuck-up. It's probably why he's divorced. He leaves the dog in the parking lot. Could be. Could be. Or the dog just gets in the back of the car. I, you know that I've watched this with that in mind many times. Like, okay, I'm going to watch this now, you know, 14 times with... You know, the dog gets in the car. That's the mindset. The dog right. jump hops. You know, he opens the door. The, the dog hops right. in. And that's going to be. And yes, it could. 
it could happen. I feel that there's some strange sound effects, because all you can really go by is the sound. Because you don't see the dog. You don't see, you couldn't see from the angle it's filmed at. You won't, you would not be able to see what happens. You know what? Thurston has a reputation as somewhat of a jumper. So I'm not, I'm not talking about him like jumping in the car, but like once they're inside the car, Thurston would be obnoxious and like jumping around and like moving. You, you probably see Thurston. Just he's jumpy. He's a jumpy dog. But yes, you cannot see like the entrance, Thurston's entrance. That's true. Or his entrance or non-entrance. It's indeterminate. You can't determine it. Yes. But there's this sound, this like dog squeak bark that happens like every time. So at first I thought it was the dog and I'm like, well, is that just like, do all the doors in the dude's car sound kind of sound like a dog? Because, like, every time they open or close a door, you hear the little, like, That's, no, see, that's the squeak of the door. It's an old, rusty car. But if you listen to it, like, just listen to it. Put the headphones on, lay back into the pillowy sofa and just listen. It sounds the same. Like, even before they get to the car, the dog makes a little, like, yep. And it's the same, yep, you hear when they open the door. It's almost like they reuse the same sound effect to be the door. Stand by. I may have just blown your whole mind. And I may be saying something that's crazy. See, I don't hear this. All right. I'm going to have to put up the volume here. I'm going to listen to it again. I mean, if that's true, if because, you know, I, I basically have spent several episodes like just like gushing all this praise onto the Foley artists. And if they're just reusing like a dog sound to like take the place of a door or vice versa, I mean, that's, that's going to be shitty and I have to take it all back then. Well, I don't think they are, but I don't know. It could just, I think it's the dog. Are you claiming that they crush the dog in the car door at some point? I think he just gets excited whenever there's any door action happening. Let me listen to this. Stand by. We got a door closed coming up here. So it's the little groan, like the like that thing that you're talking about. It's the door. Or is it a bark? It's the door. I'm just stupid. It's I'm the door. I'm going to go back and say it's the door, although it's a very weird squeak, I feel. It gave me pause. Although here's the that. difference, because when I record this thing, I have these like big over-the-ear headphones, much better quality. When I was listening to it, I was watching it on my iPhone with the little iPhone earbuds. And I think that's probably different because now it's there's no question that this is a door squeak and not a dog. If I might offer a small suggestion. Maybe wear the good headphones when you do the research, man. I maybe should, but that would require, you know, I just planning foresight. foresight. I would have to like, you know, not just like steal little bits of time when I'm on the crapper to like, (laughs) you know, do the research. Little bits of time, man. You could be in there half an hour. Well, come on. uh, Sometimes you just go in there and talk about, you know, melting away into the darkness. It's not bad. It's a special. It's a special time sometimes. Not always, though. Don't. We're not going to sit here and pretend like it's always great. But sometimes it's okay. The point is, 
that's the door. It's not the dog. Yeah. That's a door. I don't even think so there's, there's no yeah, there's no sound no. indication here. So uh-uh. the question uh-uh. now is Well, the question is what happened to the dog? Do we see the dog again? Cuz again, I haven't really seen this whole movie. Right. Well, me either. I've never actually watched that's not I mean, yeah. I've actually said I've watched it on this show. I have watched it like twice. So we don't see the dog again. So theoretically, the dog could just be gone. This is the end. Which is, again, another, like, nail in the coffin of Walter's marriage to Cynthia. You right. know? This is the kind of shit he would pull, like, getting all like, oh, it's a, you know, a Tuesday night. I'm right. going to go, like, threaten a man's life and point a gun in his face. And then, you know, no big deal. We'll move on. We'll we'll be cool. And then I'll leave your dog in the parking yeah. lot of the bowling alley. But it's part of the, like, you know, weird dual nature of Walter is that he cared about this dog. It's a show dog. It has papers. I can't leave it home alone. Its hair will fall out, you know? Yet he just leaves it in the <laughs> he just leaves it in the parking lot. Well, well, that's the thing. I don't think he cares about the dog. He cares about the ex-wife. He wants her back. That's never going to happen, you know? But it's like, what do I have to do to get you back? I'll do anything. I'll do anything. Well, right. here, take care of my dog. I'm going to go with uh, Marty Ackerman to Hawaii or wherever. And uh, just take care of my dog. Can you perform this small, simple task for a couple of days? Yes, I'll do it. Anything. You know it. I support you and Marty Ackerman. Meanwhile, he's thinking like, no, I'm going to get you back this way. But then he leaves the dog in the parking lot. <laughs> Good job, Walter. Cynthia and Marty Ackerman. They're poor Thurston. Gone. I bet Marty Ackerman loves that dog. You know? It's probably one of the it's probably how they connected. She was out walking the dog, you know? Maybe he's got a little dog too. Maybe his dog is actually a Pomeranian. Who knows? It's probably a dog connection there. Maybe it was Marty Ackerman's dog to start with. And it's oh. just maybe this Cynthia's is like, dog through marriage. So it's even more of a like disgrace. Maybe he's doing it on purpose then. Like he actually doesn't give a right. shit about the dog because it's his ex-wife's new boyfriend. Right. It's just, but, yeah. Well, it's just an even more emasculating. Right. right. Yeah. Like it's not even just his ex-wife's dog. It's his ex-wife's new husband's dog. I don't even think they're. I didn't get that impression. I thought it was a boyfriend thing, which is even worse. Well, doesn't he say Cynthia, Cynthia and Marty Ackerman? But I guess yes. it could be Cynthia and Marty Ackerman, not I, Cynthia and Marty Ackerman. But I see, I see how you interpreted that. But I, I always interpreted, interpreted it a different it. way. Yeah, it's a different way I had. That makes it even stranger. It's just it's, the whole thing is just strange. I'm just saying that little piece of dialogue. We talked about how it's like imposed in there. And I've thought about that a lot. But like, I'd, I'm watching it, it while Cynthia. Uh, I'm watching it while Cynthia and Marty Ackerman go to Hawaii. Like it's just so weird. I see. But, I the more I think about it, the less weird it becomes to me. That's what you would say. You you would refer to the ex-wife by her first name. It actually becomes less weird the more I think about it. I initially was on your side. Like, yeah, that's that's weird, but. I but you, know, it's, but okay it's the and Marty Ackerman. If you just said I'm watching it while Cynthia is in Hawaii, okay, fine, no problem there. Except for the fact that the cadence and everything, I feel like it was kind of like inserted, or maybe it's just a weird thing—the way the dialogue and the cut, the visual cut goes—that makes it separate. Like the way you know the visual cut separate with the dialogue. Like 
It's like they cut to the dog, and it's like, I'm watching it while Cynthia and Marty Ackerman are white, and then cut back to the conversation. It just sounds weird. But we don't need to retread that, really. I think we're trying to keep it to 40 minutes here. We're trying. We're only, uh, you know, we're doing good. We can, yeah. we can go through this. But I think it's, here's this one. Maybe they know two Martys, so he had to use the last name. True. You know, well, it's, wait, she's with Marty? The la- my landlord? Right. That does the interpretive dance? What the hell? No, 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 no. Marty Ackerman. Marty Ackerman. The Jewish oh, fella. He's actually the, okay. The producer. Because I'm Jewish too. Anyway, that's a... Whatever. We can move past it. But the so, dog. Does, does he really leave the dog behind? He, remember, he remembers the carrier. He puts the carrier in the car. It's on the roof. He definitely. opens the door. He puts the carrier in. Yet he forgets the actual dog. He, well, he's, now think about this, though. First of all, the dog is not in the carrier. The dog's no. running around the parking lot yes. of the Hollywood Star Lanes. Yes, the dog definitely not in the carrier. So he's already proving himself irresponsible. That's a, just a terrible idea. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Although some people do that. Like, well, some people it do it. it kind of drives me a little crazy. Sorry, that people that do it, that. That doesn't make it right. It's yeah. not like, I'm not being some sort of blowhard, but like the dog could get run over. Right. That's all. No, You're I a, agree. I totally you know? agree. But sometimes people that otherwise you think would be responsible are just like, yeah, I just let the little dog run around. I, I, I want to contain him on a leash. He, he stays next to me. That's what they say, you know? Yeah. But, and yet here we find ourselves. So Walter has three items now to take care of since he took the dog out, didn't put the dog in the carrier. So he's got the carrier, he's got the dog, which is running around loose, and he's got his bag with his bowling ball and his bowling shoes and whatever, right? So three items. Now, normally, that'd be two items. You have the carrier, the dog's in the carrier, you have your bowling ball bag, the bowling ball and the bowling shoes are in the bag. So subconsciously your mind is saying to your body you have your two items you are good the dog shouldn't be running around so he puts the carrier on top his mind thinking one unit dog and carrier he throws the bowling ball shit in there and then puts the carrier in there okay done my responsibilities i boom now i get in the car meanwhile thurston's outside and never comes in the dude is too worried about, like, the fact that Walter just pointed a gun in somebody's face and the cops are on their way. And he's trying to tell him to calm the fuck down. He's not thinking about a dog. The dog's outside the car. They leave the dog behind. Not only They might that, even just run him over. Maybe he's under the tire trying to n- nuzzle up next to the tire when they start moving. Who knows? A little squeak, you never hear it. They've made it a point to have this dog... For the last, like, three minutes or something, be extremely obnoxious with its noises. We've had man mumbles. It's, like, right. jumping up on him, barking, barking. They're out in the parking lot, like, ten seconds before they get in the car. Raff, 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 constantly, just noise. As soon as the door closes, no more dog. You just don't hear it anymore. That, to me, is the strongest evidence that that damn dog's outside. Even though the dude's window's open, you'd still hear it but I think it was like a little message like, yeah, they left the dog behind. Well, I think it was just, you know, an inconvenience, right? They wanted the dog for that scene. Showing the dog, I mean, they could have just had the dog in the carrier, in which case, I guess, avoided all of this. 
I'm just thinking of the choices as a filmmaker here, right? Because part of it, I think, is just the logistics of, okay, they have this dialogue now of the dude and Walter in the car, and they didn't, they didn't need the dog. They didn't want the dog. I think that's a big part of it, but you're exactly right. It was a choice, and now we're left as the audience wondering what happened to the damn dog. Like, well, I, well, it's, a, it's a choice that raises more questions. Right. That's the thing. It doesn't solve anything. It was an inconvenience to them, but it raises questions. And that, that may be a bit of an oversight. Right. But at the same time, it just flows like so casually like watching this as just a regular sit down watch it like i don't you don't notice i never really notice like oh what happened to the dog it's only when you're here trying to pay close attention it's like what happened to the dog there one moment gone the next well i guess it's more of just like the the film reality and actual reality and i guess sometimes to trick your brain into thinking this is reality, you have to go with less reality. Exactly. Which is crazy, you know? It's like, can it just be real? But where's the damn dog, you know? I now mean, the you're dog, looking at it. The dog could have just jumped into the back seat and laid down. Maybe like, that's his thing. He's that's trained his thing. when he gets in the car, car. he lays down, he finally shuts up. Yeah, I mean, could be. Could have happened. Could have happened. Could have happened. Yes. Like, that might be the make the most sense, simply because, as you mentioned, you never hear the dog. Even if he was outside, like you said, you'd probably still hear him yapping. I mean, the other option is, as they get to the dog, so the, the way the camera moves, you know, it starts, you can see the ground, you can see everyone's feet and the dog, and then as they walk closer and the camera tilts... Um... He just jumps in or immediately. Pans more rather. Well, he, he like you know you lose him off the frame. Mm-hmm. But but right before he goes, he's kind of like running way ahead of them. So like he could have just ran, who knows, like down the parking lot, just going. He's he's like three cars down, trying to jump into that car. That's why we don't hear him. He's out doing his own thing. He's chasing a rat or something. So then they definitely leave him behind if he's out chasing a rat. Right. But that could be why we don't hear him. And they leave him behind. I mean, the only excuse for we not hearing him is he's, like, way gone. Or he's trained to just shut up in the car. He gets in, lays down. He doesn't strike me as a really well-trained dog. No, definitely not. Even though he's a show dog with they don't, papers. Well, they don't want to stress out the show dog, though. Right, so you don't actually that's put one, any strictures that's one, on them. Yeah, that's one school of thought. I'm leaning, like... 54% to it ran off after the rat. My, so if I had to say what's really going on here, it goes back, I think, to your comment about like film realism. And in the dreamlike state of the film, in mm-hmm. the logic of the film, it doesn't matter. As soon as we lose him, like he, the frame line changes and he, he's gone, the dog is gone, he's then gone from the universe. He has ceased to exist at that point. I don't know why I try to put, like, take this cage of realism and smash it down onto films, but I, I just do. I would agree with you. You're probably right. It's this dreamlike thing about film reality that as soon as it's out of sight, out of mind, right. dog's gone now. Dog's gone. We don't have to worry yeah. about that anymore. We were driving. 
It was pitch black. It was night, middle of the night. And we arrive at where we're going, which we know as an audience is like one mile away. And it's daytime, full on. Day, and that's okay. Exactly. We just accept it. Yeah. So, so maybe it's something like that, I guess. Right. So I'm going to, okay, I'm going to relay a little anecdote here about a dream I had just last night. I've been having bad ones, not good car this, crashes and shit. Oh, that's horrible. Yes, yeah. all night long. This, yeah, that's not good. I'm sorry. This wasn't like that. This was. Don't be sorry. It's not your fault. Well, I'm still sorry. I'm sorry you have to go through those dreams. I appreciate it. But my dream, it was somewhat stressful, but it wasn't like a horrific type of thing like that. But in essence, it, it was it was based on a geometric impossibility that I only realized. I can't wait to hear about this geometric impossibility because it's kind of like a fractal. Yeah. Which we've featured on this program. Kind of. So. Nothing can right. go on so forever. Imagine, so here's what happened. Someone had like taken the screw. So like, you know, imagine a door on a hinge, right? I'm going to say a front door because in my dream, this was the front door. Okay, imagine if you open that door and look at the hinge, right? You'll see the hinge screwed into both the door and the wall. Mm-hmm. Now imagine if you like took that one of those screws out and then replaced it with like, let's say like a two inch long screw, but only screwed it in like one inch. So you had one inch sticking out. Okay. You couldn't close the door then, right? It would, well, maybe, but it would hit it and bend it. Yeah, I'm going to say, let's say this is like some kind of unbendable, in the dream physics world, like you just couldn't close the door, gotcha. right? Because you couldn't yeah, bend the thing. Then. You just couldn't sure. do it. It was just like, oh, can't close it. So I had dreamed that someone had done this, but somehow you could see it from the inside of the house. Like the hinge would have to be on the outside as you open the door toward the in, you know, open the door inward. This is very hard to relay verbally. But he's no, following I, no, me. I'm, look, I'm literally looking at a hinge right now. I, yeah. And I was having a difficult time, but looking at it, now I understand that yeah. um, that's bad. And so like somehow that. the person that had done this, it somehow you could see it. it they, they had done it with while the door was closed and the screwing that screw out kept the door from opening. I was oh. on the inside and I couldn't open because that screw had come out. But I don't know. That, that might be worse than car crashes. It's man. not possible. Like, it makes no sense. And in my mind, I could visualize. I can even see it now in the dream, even though I don't know how it's possible. It's like some kind of MC Escher turned in on itself inside out reality. And in the dream, that didn't bother me. In the dream, it just seemed perfectly normal. But somehow waking up and I woke up at that point and I was like really frustrated, like, I was gonna like beat someone like, oh my god, I can't believe it. they did this to the door. I can't even You're gonna fucking march open down it. the stairs and go and like tear the door off its hinges yeah. or something. I was on the dream, I was hungry, but it was like but you know, so and I woke up at that point, so the image was still in my mind. And somehow, as soon as I woke up, I realized like what what am I looking at in my memory, in my mind's eye here? Like how is that even possible? It becomes more difficult to comprehend. And I can still see it in my mind, even though, like, it doesn't make any sense. How is it possible? Yeah, that's, uh, that's worse than car crashes, man. So 
so that's just an example of how the dream reality and film is a dream reality. And Doesn't it necessarily match up to the re- reality. All right, yeah. it can make sense there, but not necessarily in the real world. That's, that's what sense. I think. The dog is just gone. He's erased from existence of this universe. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty much siding with you on that one. As soon as he leaves the frame, for all intense intensive purposes, he um he's out of the movie. Exit stage left, basically yeah. done. He's not just out. Of, yeah, he's he's not just out of the movie. He's just out of the reality, right? Of the film, yeah. Dog. D- exactly. Dog? <laughs> All right. No, you got me. Yeah. Huh. You win. You win that. I am on it. We obviously have the most striking examples of Googie architecture on the outside of the Hollywood star lanes. Yes. And you do pronounce it Googie. I know that now. Okay, good. How'd you figure that out? Well, I just, you know, did some cursory, like, 20 seconds of research. Okay, good. So, just for future reference, sometimes if you do that, you learn things. I'll keep that in mind. It's like looking back on my, you know, self from 19 episodes ago. I can't believe how stupid I used to be. The obvious, uh logical conceit is that 20 episodes from now I'm going to look back on my current self and think about how stupid I am now even though I think I'm the shit right now possible for, for knowing how to pronounce good I don't know at one point though you know you're, you're going to peak and you're going to look back 20 episodes and be like you know that was really the high point I've <laughs> really kind of fucked my life up one can then. only hope one can only hope <laughs> I myself dabbled in pacifism not in Nam, of course Never in, um, there's no rules there. Uh, just for the sake of completely screwing up continuity or any sense of organization we may have had. At the end of the movie, when the dude and Walter brace the titular Big Lebowski, the dude lays on the titular Lebowski like, oh, find somebody the square community doesn't give a shit about. And I just wrote down here, Donnie, Donnie is a member of the Square community. He drinks Diet Slice and wears a belt and a tucked-in shirt. So he is a member of the Square community, Donnie. He dabbles in recklessness, but he's a member of the Square community. Donnie is very square, I must say. Totally square. That is what separates him from these two. The yeah. dude is very much circular, some slightly oval. Walter a is a triangle, looking. possibly an upside down triangle with the point balancing on the point, possibly. I Donnie's a square. That. He's a, he just sits solidly on the ground. He's not going to go tumbling around like some sort of tumbleweed. He's a square. Yeah, I like the idea of Walter as an upside down triangle. It you know, seems fitting. It just goes to show how we've been like so programmed, right? That we think a triangle has like a right way to be up. Right. Like, oh, that way is upside down. Well, maybe that's really the right way for a triangle. And all the triangles we've been thinking about all our lives are really upside down. Well, and you're probably thinking of an equilateral triangle, aren't you? Yeah, I am. Yeah, you know? What the fuck? 
What an isosceles ever do to you, man. So square. Well, it's because right. that's what a square would think, and I'm a square. Right. Because we've too. all been... We've been programmed. You know, we've been programmed to be squares. Right. Even if we only hey, have three sides, somehow, anti-geometrically, we're a square. Right. Well, that's where the dream logic comes in. Right. Now, I'm still a square. But wait, you only have three sides. Yet, I'm I fit square, perfectly though. into this square hole. <laughs> right. In Zoomer. my dream logic. Yeah, it makes no sense. And I can balance equally as well with the long side of me on the floor or the point on the floor. What? I'm a square. Three straight sides. Maybe you have no straight sides and the sum of your angles doesn't add up to 180 degrees. Maybe that's something dream logic might insist you recognize. We have 10 minutes. We should stop talking about upside down triangles. Well, we could talk about perhaps the most quoted Lebowski quote. Definitely up there in the upper percentiles of quoted. I catch myself saying it's my favorite line. Oh, yeah, it's the most the... quoted line. All it's, right. But this is a good one. I don't think it's the most quoted line. I but... think it's in the top five at least. Calmer than you are? Calmer than you are. I don't know if that's top. Maybe. You know what? That's not. So I... When I bought the DVD, it came with the coasters. I talked about I have the coaster that says, okay. I'm going to go find a cash machine. Right. Um, I did not realize those those were complimentary with the DVD. Yeah, they just came okay. with the DVD. Nice. Was, which, nice. That's why I bought it. I think I already had the DVD. I needed to buy it again so I get the coasters. Um, and that, so there were four, and that was not one of them. Well, that might not be the most coasterific quote. Maybe it's I don't know. I find myself saying and other people saying calmer than you are a lot. I do too, but we say that a lot. I find myself saying that a lot. True. We say a lot. What just happened? Calmer than uh, you are. I'm perfectly in, calm. Which in fact what? he is. Waving a gun around? Calmer than you are. I touched on this. So frustrating. The dude is actually one of the least calm people in this movie. Besides, perhaps, the titular Big Lebowski. Well, He's always getting worked up. He gets kicked out of a cab. Uh, Jackie Treehorn kicks him out of a party. The chief of police of Malibu throws a mug at his face. You know, he's not calm. He's always getting out of control. And yet, he's always insisting that everybody else take it easy. In fact, Walter, off-camera, snorts at him <laughs> when he says that. You're always saying that, dude. That's what you say to everything. That's your answer to everything. He actually does it like a mouth snort. <laughs> Took me like ten listenings to hear it. There's a mouth snort there. The dude is not calm. He's driving drunk. You know? Always. He's just, he's kind of out of control. Well, I guess it's just, it's just part of the whole... Like yin and yang, or the weird, like inherent contradiction, maybe is a better way to put it, of like all these characters, right? Like, even like I just mentioned before, Walter, you know, who at first seemed to be like he was like taking care of his dog, bringing it bowling, and then he just leaves it in the parking lot. Right. You know, uh, Walter's waving a gun around, yet he's calm. The dude is like, yeah, some chilled Zen master, but really not. He's fucking. Off but you know, the, the, rails the, the thing is with the, the dude, though, is like, I don't know. I sympathize with him, though. I'm right? not saying I don't sympathize the dude with is, the dude. Finds himself. He's just a dude that just wants to chill, 
But he has found himself in a world turned upside down. And no one else can see it but him. A Zen master would take that abuse. He'd take oh, yeah. all of the stressors of the world and still be Zen. The dude no. is not capable of doing that. And yeah. Maybe that goes back to like the Cohen saying, he's the least well-equipped to handle this situation. Right. That's his philosophy, yeah. but he doesn't practice it, really. Is this podcast done now? Or we, we're finished. There's nothing else we can say. Well, you might be right. Unless you want to talk about the police pulling up in the background. You know, I couldn't Not think that of I anything know what to say about that. To they say about that. I would rather talk more about how. You're not wrong, Walter. You're just an asshole. Which he doesn't care. You can personally insult him as much as you want. He, it doesn't affect him. It just right. bounces off him all well, the time. And he's also more interested in being right, probably, anyway. Right. right. So in some ways, that's almost like a compliment. Right, you're not wrong, you're just an asshole. Sweet! I win. I want to talk about tandem movies for just a second. Sure. Tandem. Yes, go. Movies about the same subjects that come out within sometimes the same year, sometimes within a year or two, three years. Because I had this, this is a revisit, but... So we talked about Jeff Bridges and Crazy Heart, and then there was also Country Strong. Country Strong. Is that with Gwyneth Paltrow? Gwyneth Paltrow, yes. Okay. And then a couple years before that, maybe four or five years, so that's, you know, we're stretching a little bit, but Walk the Line with Joaquin. Yes. Whose last name is Phoenix, brother to Rivers Phoenix. Rivers Cuomo. No. River Phoenix. River Cuomo, sorry, River Cuomo. So three of them there. Sometimes there's a triplet. All I did was like Google movies that have same plot, you know, like some sort of Neanderthal Googler. But then there it was. 11 pairs of damn near identical movies that were released at the same time. Deep Impact, Armageddon. Yes. Chasing Liberty, First Daughter, which I hadn't heard of those. But they were like, the president's daughter is going to go on dates, the president's mad sort of movies. The Illusionist, The Prestige. Yes. Which I didn't see The Illusionist, but I saw The Prestige, one of my favorite movies. Yes. Ants, A Bug's Life. <laughs> Very good. You know, yep. what the yep. hell? The Truman Show, Ed TV. Same year. Oh, no. 98 and 99. Yeah. But within a year. This one's a little loose. Saving Private Ryan, Thin Red Line. Eh, war movie. How about this, though? Mission to Mars, Red Planet. Yep. Uh-huh. Which, which one am I watching right now? Iron Eagle, Top Gun, Dante's Peak, Volcano. Yeah, I was, that's what I was... That, that's yes. the first one that comes to my mind for whatever totally. reason. Well, I, that's like the second one. The first one is Armageddon and Deep Impact. But Yeah. Well, Dante's Peak and Volcano came out first, I believe, which is why... 97, yeah, yeah. That's why, like, that was the first time I was like, what is, why? Why did this happen? Why would you make two Volcano movies? Yeah. You're just diluting your profits. And then um, Tombstone and Wyatt Earp, 93, and then 
shortly thereafter in 94. And then you had a triplicate of Deep Star 6, Leviathan, and the Abyss. All in, uh, it was right, in 89, right. 89, 89, all three. Which, as a person in 1989, I thought, maybe all movies now are going to take place underwater. Maybe this is the thing. This, we're entering a new, like, underwater or water, water-themed right. epoch of film. Right, just like Star Wars kind of ushered in a whole right. new era of, like, space movies. Right. Now it's going to be like, well, every summer, what's the latest underwater movie? What were they going to find down there this time? Because, I mean, that's three of them, which I only a- actually ever saw The Abyss, which is a decent, it's a Jimmy Cameron movie, so right. it's decent. Yeah, but. I liked it. I mean, I haven't seen it uh, since a really long time. I was young. Although yeah. it did have Chris Elliott in it, which was a boon. Right, a plus. with his little rat, you know, in the bag. No, he didn't have the rat in the bag. I don't think so. The other so. guy had the rat in the bag. But he was still in it. It's good. Ed Harris. Anyway. Country Strong. Mary Crazy Stewart, Heart. Stuart Masterson. Masterson. Master Antonio. Mas- not Masterson. Down there, Masterson. There's, there's too many, like, Mary's S's sometimes. It's like they go in tandems, too, sometimes. Eddie Murray, the basketball player. Eddie Murphy. It's Mary actor. Elizabeth Master Antonio. There you go. Because I was about to go on a whole tear about like why is there two Mary Stewart? Mary Stewart's yeah. mass. It's Mary Stewart mass blank. Right. Mary Stewart Master Stunts and Mary Stewart Master Ings. So I had to. <laughs> I don't know. I had to Google to find out that it was Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio. And there is what kind of a name is that, Master Antonio? That's a name by itself. <laughs> Who is it? May I introduce Master Antonio? I mean, uh, you're too many names. Cut it down, man. There is a Yahoo question. Yahoo answers. I don't know how to feel Who about those Mary things. Who is Mary Stewart Elizabeth Master Antonio? Master Antonio, and the top answer is Mary Stuart Masterson and Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio are two different actresses, and that gets the star. I don't know. I mean, the first question was probably just some weird troll question, but I don't know. It's humorous to me for some reason right now. It validated. It validated your <laughs> ignorance. Yes. <laughs> I think our ignorance is being validated on quite a consistent basis. The lighting. Let me just talk about it. Maybe right. I can not sound like such a jackass for just a second. Sure. I hate, I hate, 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 hate when movies overlight. I hate it. The sun is, it's a sunny day. The sun is out. You have this, you know, nuclear reaction going on. Mm-hmm. You can't possibly compete with it. So, if you're shooting a shot outside in the sun, like, you know, one side of your face is going to be brighter. It's just going to happen. That's fine, you know? What I hate is when then they, they block out the sun and then they relight it, even though it's like maybe two people walking down a sidewalk in the middle of the day, bright sun, but they block out the sun with all these like silks, like wax paper, stuff like diffusing all of the sun. So there are no harsh shadows. We've actually seen examples of this in this movie. Yes. I think they were they were using it to a little better effect than is sometimes done. But I just hate when 
You have actors walking through a scene and the lighting is clearly motivated. For instance, the sun is in the sky to their left. It should be brighter on that side. I hate when they block it all out and everything's just soft and everything is the same. Their face is as bright on the right side as it is on the left side. And then they'll put a light behind them, which like makes their hair shine all nice and like rims their shoulders in all beautifully. I hate this. They're not doing this in this scene with the dude and Walter in this car. It's blue because there's like some weird blue street lights and it's nighttime. It's like maybe the moon is out. Who knows? But it's like just kind of like blue, like cool nighttime. But like the tops of their heads are dark. Right. You can't see all of the details of both sides of their face. It's kind of dark in a lot of spots. I like that. You're not, your attention's not drawn to the lighting. Right. It's, it's like sound editing. You shouldn't fucking notice it. And this, this is one scene, now that I've been watching this more and more, it's like, they really did a good job. Because if you think about it, like, you can't have light coming down and, like, you know, painting them, so to speak, from above. Because there's the roof of the car there. Yeah. So they basically have the windows on either side and the windshield in front. And they, any light that they're going to use to light them either has to come through the rear windshield, the front windshield, or the side window. Right. And, well, and that's, you know. Yeah. Well, it seems to me like light is pouring in from either side of the car, like from each side window. Because, you know, again, yeah, like you can see like the dude, the right side of his face is lit up and Walter, the left side of his face is. I mean, pouring in is probably too much because you're right. It's a little strong. Yeah, it's a little strong. And the dude like, yes, the left side of his hair, you can see is like high lit. But the bowling alley entrance is there. It seems. Yeah, it seems motivated. Yeah, it seems very natural it seems like very much you can believe this was just shot with available light right available light because and in walter's shot you see like bright as day the googie stuff on the wall back there so that's motivating it shining in through the car because that's how you know your eye being the best camera that the world has ever known that's how your eye would seem to perceive it which is a very different thing than a camera trying to capture these things these images is your eye the best camera the world has ever known gotta be by a factor of about 30 well there is a camera that has such high dynamic range you can take pictures of the of the stars on the middle of a sunny day how does it do looking at a shadowed area underneath a tree while looking at the sky well, that's a good question. I don't particularly have the answer to that, but How I imagine does it do sitting inside, it work looking at orange tungsten. Well, what light we're talking and about now out at the sky with the sun. Yeah, I mean, what we're talking about is dynamic range here, right? To get those, so I well, would imagine take, it would do pretty well. Taking but a no, picture of the sun right. is not about dynamic range. It's not a picture of the sun. It's a picture of the stars. Well, that's not even about dynamic range. That's about sensitivity. Dynamic range is how much of the shadows can we see 
while at the same time how much of the highlights can we see? What can we fit in on both ends of the spectrum at the same time, basically? Right, but wouldn't taking a picture of the stars while the sun is out Does that constitute a better camera? I don't know, but wouldn't that constitute dynamic range in the extreme? Taking a picture of the stars while the sun is out? Yeah, like while the while you while the Earth is on the the side of the Earth you're standing on is facing the sun. I don't know about that because dynamic range is here's a very dark place and here's a very very bright place, but the stars and the sun, even though it's that's a star too, I guess. But right, the distant stars and our close star, they're both very bright. You're just dealing with, it could just be, maybe you put a, some blue blockers on the camera. Well, consider this, like at night, if, to take, even take a picture of the stars at night, you know, you're talking about a very long exposure. A second, maybe? second or two? I would say, or two, at least. I've done it recently. I got some pictures. Now you get lots of stars when you do a 30 second exposure. Yes. But imagine doing a 30-second exposure at noon. How could you get stars there without everything just being complete white unless you had some kind of fucking crazy dynamic range? That even though the light from the sun is like blinding your camera, you can also see the stars past it. No, I see your point. I see your point. I just, I think something else is going on there. But you're right. I don't know. This is like a camera that's like some kind of crazy, you know, special grade. I they, It's the kind of thing they use in like, as, you know, astronomers use and they put right. satellites and shit. So. Right. That's not, I'm just, I'm sorry. That's not dynamic yeah. range. That's some, some other voodoo's going on there. Cause like 18 stops is about the limit of it. And shooting directly into the sun and also capturing stars would be like 10 to the 12th stops of dynamic range. You know, something like incomprehensible. The limit of what? Of cameras that are used to shoot movies. Like cameras. Right. You know, that NASA doesn't use, I guess. Right. But. Even right. so, I don't, I don't know of a camera that has more than 18 stops. I, I hear you tapping away furiously. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know. Whatever. I, this, is, this was too much of a... Of a uh, you were tempted. Too you much came. of a... Um, yeah, this the is just too much of a side, side track here. Let's go back. The, your, your lighting question. The camera and your eye being the best camera. Which really gets me... About the eye, because if the eye is the best camera, which I kind of agree with. Well, I know you agree. Why do we need all these giant ass cameras to like and lenses to do shit? Why can't we just have something the size of the eyeball? Oh, granted, you're not watching like musical theater. You're not there live watching people dance around on stage, man. I'm not sure what that means. I know you want to, like, engineer things to be the size of the eyeball, but we're doing the best we can, right? right? Now, if you want to reproduce the optics of, like, what your eye actually sees, then you go to a live play. And you look at it with your eye. You use your camera in your face. Sure. 
But your eye also, I mean, there's also elements of photography that your eye does not have, per se, right? I definitely agree with that. Like, if you want to change, you know, you want to play with depth, depth of field. field. Yeah. Totally. Yes. So, there'll still be people with big-ass lenses. But you know, you know how the eye, as the best camera, you know how it makes up for that? It makes up for that psychologically. Your mind is not concentrating on the background. So, in essence, it is blurred out. It's blurred right. out psychologically, but not visually. Right. So, I mean, to me, it's like shallow depth of field is just kind of mimicking that psychological effect of, you know, there's things in the foreground, things way in the background. But what are you concentrating on? What's your brain concentrating on? Your eye can be like, physically pointed at the same place but what are you concentrating on it's just like a subtle change then in like the shape of your eye and like how far open your iris is or is it even just like a mental trick right or or maybe it's strictly mental i don't know yeah i don't know either it's like the moon illusion you know the moon illusion right yes which is crazy it's crazy but it's very real even though it's an illusion it's ext- well, it's a psychological illusion. Yeah. It's not, you know... It's not an optical illusion. It's not an optical illusion at all. It's just psychological. Because if you take a photograph of it, it looks normal. Same size all the way through. Never bigger than... It's okay. always the same. That, like, there is some sort of, like, distortion that can happen from the atmosphere, which is what, you know, you think, I guess, as a kid. But it's, like, 1% or something. It's not noticeable, really. Yeah, that broke my mind a little bit, Moon Illusion. Sorry, everybody. It's not real. It's like, hold your pinky nail out at arm's length and put it next to the moon, and all of a sudden the moon will seem smaller. Sorry to, like, make the world a little sadder place. This moment, extended moment, the dude and Walter have back and forth in the car. And I notice this in cars sometimes. So watch movies now, and you'll notice... Somebody driving, somebody in the passenger passenger seat, and they cut back and forth. So the dude is framed, like, almost dead center, but slightly right of dead center when they cut to his close-up. Okay. Now, when they cut to Walter, if I was going to do this, I would. now where would you say he should be framed? If the dude's on the right, a little bit. Walter should be on? The left? The left, right? Go back and forth. No. Walter is even more on the right than the dude is. They're both on the right side of the right of center in the frame. And this is a thing that they do. But why? Well, what I notice is it's as if the camera is in the same point. Yes, and they're just wrote. They're just and the camera is just like, yeah. So it's like if you were sitting there like on the hood of the car watching them and looking at the dude looking at Walter. This is kind of simulating what you would see. It's not like the camera is looking dead straight on at the dude, then dead straight on on Walter, then dead straight on on the dude, right? It's kind of like you're looking kind of to the side at each of them. Well, see, and like I dis- the camera is kind of mounted kind of like maybe like, you know, in the middle of the, the hood there. See, I disagree with your analysis of that. I agree with the facts. I believe that the camera is actually mounted basically equidistant from them on the hood of the car, essentially. But if I was, like, sitting Indian-style on the hood of the car, like, looking back and forth, 
I would want to like conserve energy. So I would rotate my head, you know, just enough so I could see the dude and he'd be on the right side of my field of vision. And, oh, now Walter's talking and I'd rotate, not all the way. I'm not going to put him right in the middle. All the way. He's like kind of on the left. So yeah. to me, so like Walter looking is on at the this left. scene, but he's not, he's not, he's on the right. They're both on the right. That's what I'm saying. They're both on the right. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Yeah, you know, he's right. looking left to right, but he's on the right. Yeah, and Walter, so no, yeah. Dude. I just have my right. Yeah, Walter is on the right. And that's so where I'd expect him to be using your theory of conservation of head rotation. Well, no, they, here's the, no, of course, he would be even farther on the left because think about it. You're looking at the dude. Walter is now out of your field of vision, yes. so far to the left that you can't see him. Yes. So you rotate your head just enough until he comes into your field of vision. Oh, there he is. It's enough. I can see him enough. He's on the extreme left now of my field of vision. Now, when I turn my head back, uh, the dude starts talking. He, I can't see him yet, and he enters my extreme right field of vision. There he is. I'll only go far enough as I have to. But, but, so the way your head and your meat machine works, you would think Walter's on the left. Dudes on the right. But framing wise, if you think of a center line down the center of the screen, as we cut back and forth between them, they're both on the right side of that center line. But it works. It's crazy. I don't know why that works. It's another like film reality thing. I don't understand that. It's, you're right. It just works. Well, I think maybe it's also another, could be another strange thing. Like if they were, if you were, let's say, only moving the camera that small amount. Like, the cuts would be too close. Maybe. Like, yeah. it would look like a jump. It would be weird. It'd be dissonant. You'd, you'd see, you'd almost see, like, the dude's hand and arm still in the shot when you're looking at Walter. So it's like, um, you know, you don't play two notes next to each other. Right. You or, you know, you can't, them. yeah. Or you can't cut from, like, a, you know, medium shot to a long shot or a close-up. Like, you have to also move the angle. Right. There's some rule name for that rule, isn't there? I don't know. Um, Maybe not. Or it's just avoiding jump cuts. Yeah, it's just, yeah, I think it's just a jump cut, I so guess. So I think like you would, uh, is that jump cut? Is that the right word? I guess not, that's not really a that's jump cut. That's not the cut. right word. That's not the it's, right word. Um, All these film lingos are escaping yeah, me right now. I don't know the lingo either, but I feel like this is a thing. This is a convention that's used somehow, like oddly, in cars. For some reason, maybe it's something about like the, the line because you're sitting. If you think about so that would be the whatever the X axis, they're both on the same line. It's almost like they're sitting in theater chairs, you know, they're both facing you perfectly in a normal situation. If two people are talking to each other, they're facing each other somewhat. So maybe it's something being in a car, you're both facing straight forward. Like it helps if they're both on the same side of the frame or something. I don't know, but I never learned about this. It was never brought up. I need to go like intern with a DP for 10 years and learn this, I guess. I'll be back in 2023. Wish I had answers about this or some insight. I've I got nothing. I just. It's fascinating though when you start to think about it, right? Especially yeah. to someone like me that doesn't really have a lot of experience with this, like just to like start thinking about, yeah, like why does this stuff work? Right. And the dude is kind of like almost in the middle. He's only slightly to 
to the one side, but Walter is definitely like on that third. So this is what really got me thinking about this. Are you ready for this one? I'm ready. I had one of the best film experiences of my life recently. Oh, yes? Oh, yes. It was not rewatching Inland Empire, because you might be right. That might not actually be that good of a movie. I enjoyed it, but that might not actually be a very good movie. I watched a movie that's definitely not a very good movie. In fact, <laughs> it is... <laughs> We're goddamn terrible. Belle Ami, starring Belle. Robert Pattinson of Twilight fame, Belle otherwise Ami. known as Edward. R. Pat. Isn't that what they call him? R. Pats? R. R. Pat? R. P. Pattinson, I think. R. Pattinson. This movie was terrible. I was looking at. And this is why I was focusing so much on this framing, because I was trying like desperately to find something to talk about this episode, because, I don't know, it was hard. It just didn't seem like there was too much going on besides the dog getting left behind. It's like I was, I was struggling, but fortunately, like two days before, I watched Bella Me, and the framing was just like jumping out, like right in my face. They would have these scenes, like extended, like seven-minute scenes. And now Uma Thurman's in this movie. Christina Ricci, Cole Meany, for God's sakes, is in it. Cole Meany. Mm-hmm. Cole Meany. There's no excuse for this to be so bad, but it was produced by uh, Simon Fuller, producer of American Idol. Uh, obviously, a TV guy, and I just think he got. There was a TV writer who adapted the Guy de Maupassant novel. So he got hit one of his TV buddies to adapt it. He got a TV buddy to direct it. And I think he got a TV guy to shoot it too. So it's like, it just brought this like, this shitty TV aesthetic to what should have been what I imagine they thought was Oscar bait. And it's like a TV movie. But there were these extended scenes between Robert Pattinson and Uma Thurman in particular where they're cutting back and forth from Pattinson to Thurman, Pattinson to Thurman. And for starters, they're both exactly the same size in the frame. And I think that means it's like you don't know who's, who owns this scene. And they're both like exactly in the middle of the frame. And it was the weirdest thing. And they're like, you know, 10 feet apart. And it's just, you're dead center, medium shot. And now we're cutting to you. Dead center, medium shot. And I think it was like, the budget was only 10 mil. I think Robert Pattinson and Uma Thurman were bigger than the movie. So the people, right. the, the poor TV people trying to make this movie didn't have the balls to say, no, you're going to be like over on the side and tiny in the frame. And, you know, you're going to be huge. Like, you own this. Like, I, I think they didn't have the requisite cojones and authority to, like, make it how it should have been. Or maybe just not the chops. I don't know. But it was weird how the framing, like, jumped out. Like, what am I looking at right now? 
this is supposed to add up to a pleasing experience. But it was it was awesome. I loved what looking at it. Well, it did gross one hundred and nineteen thousand dollars. So, yeah, thirty eight k the first weekend, a hundred nineteen thousand dollars. And this is the they lead spent actor. Ten million on it. Ten mil, and it star. It's starring the lead actor from Twilight. I mean, how, this is like some of my videos that it I put made, on YouTube. It's like, how yeah. can you possibly get four views on a video? Right. I, I could literally like just shoot the a close well, up of the table right now, and that would get and, more than four so, views. Yeah. Well, in its defense, I mean, it wasn't on. I'm now I'm looking at some of these details. No, it wasn't on too many screens. No, it was on like thirty something, and it then was after on 16 a week, sixteen <laughs> screens on the opening weekend, <laughs> and then on the fourth week, it was down to six screens, where it made three thousand dollars gross, cutting their losses. So this podcast is about like hyper analyzing a movie. Watching that movie though, and since I wasn't really engrossed in it, if I'm engrossed in a movie, I don't really pay attention too much. But this movie was so bad that I was able to like hyper analyze it on first viewing. And I was just able to notice all of the shit that the Coens care about and like take great care to be meticulous about are all of the things that this movie either didn't know or just didn't give a shit about because they didn't have the money. I don't know. About the only good thing about it was, you know, the costumes were okay. The lighting was okay. Everything else was so... I highly recommend you watch this thing. I'll check it out. You know, I'm looking at Calm Meany here. You know... you mentioned him. Okay, that's another bright spot. He was good, and so was Christina Ricci. Uma Thurman, blue chunks. So did Pattinson, but... Yeah, Cole Meany was good. If we were to, let's say, A&E... Arts and Entertainment Network. I could see A&E, like, remaking The Big Lebowski. Like, doing, like, the TV version of it. Like, they have this, like, Bates Motel thing. This is what happens when you find a stranger in the Alps. Right. But they could, like, remake the movie, right? Re-envision The, the Big Lebowski. Cole Meany plays... Cole Meany plays Walter. In the A&E version of The Big Lebowski. Without a doubt, it's I could perfect. totally get behind that. Yeah. I'm I'm on board 100% with that. He'd do awesome, too. I have so some, weird. I have some faith in Colm. I do, too. His name's Colm. Just say it without the last name once. Colm. Colm. Not Colm. 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 Mean. And then his first name ends with the same letter that his last name starts with. Right. So they just run... W- one into the next. Colmini. It's like a type of salami. Not some salami kind you want. Colmini. Colmini. It's like a mushroom. Yes. He and Star Trek. Yes. Did you know he started out just as like an extra? What, in Deep Space no- or uh, Next Generation? Generation. He is in the very first episode of Star Trek Next Generation. As an extra? Well, he had like maybe a speaking part, like a couple lines, but he was just a guy on the bridge doing stuff. Just in the background, punching buttons. Yeah. Like, I think he had a couple lines because, you know, 
they needed kind of like a B team to be on the bridge due to how the plot was, right? So he was just part of this B team of some guy, nameless guy, nameless Somebody's bridge got a officer. Guy, man. Yeah. And then, like, so they kept him on as an extra in some more episodes. And then eventually, he just somehow became like an actual character that had like a name and a family and everything else. And then he becomes a main character on Deep Space Deep Nine. Deep Space Nine, he, he made the jump. And so, from being just an extra, but it's so weird. Like, you go back to, and that's what Star Trek does sometimes in this weird way, is we've, again, talking about the dream reality versus the real reality, right? They these weird things where you can go back and be like, oh, shit, it's almost like this stuff was real. Like, here's this main character. But, oh, yeah, if you go back to, like, this episode from seven years ago, he's still there in the background. Like, of course he would be, right? Well, he just got promoted. Yeah. Anyway. Another aside, but yeah, Colmini. I'm a fan. I'm a fan of him on Star Trek. I'm a fan of his doing anything, and he would be Walter. Yeah, I like that. I like that reality where A&E remakes it, and he plays Walter. I think it works. But who would be the dude? The guy from The Trip. See The Trip? Trip. Yeah, it's like a BBC show or movie. I guess movie. And it's um Now this guy was in Coffee and oh. Cigarettes and he was in the little vignette with Alfred Molina. I still can't remember his name, which is so You mean fitting. Steve Coogan? Steve Coogan. Steve Coogan would be the dude. So maybe maybe yeah, he wears the robe. Come on, he'd be great. Yeah, I could see him in it, but I think that would be kind of a disastrous. But even though I could see that they would actually do it, like Lindsay Lohan in the canyons. Yeah, maybe now Bradley Cooper could be the dude. No, except not, not on BBC. He w- though. Except he wouldn't be on A and E, right? A, yeah, not no. BBC. A and E. He wouldn't be on A and E. No, you're right. He wouldn't be. That's the problem with. Well, that. maybe but, Steve Coogan wouldn't either. But I think he's closer to A&E than... No, you're right. He is. Because Bradley Cooper is like the shit now. No, he is. He's like Mr. He's like the new Brad Pitt, almost. Even though Brad Pitt's hanging... Oh, World War know. Z. I mean, I'm yeah. going to see that shit. Have you seen those trailers? Give it up for the Bradleys of the world. Have you seen trailers for World War Z? Um, I saw like the original one. I haven't seen any like newer ones, if there are. Oh um, yeah. He don't do shit. I'm all World in. World War Z. Yeah, definitely. You don't have to tell me twice. That's like four times now. Um, The trip, though. You didn't see the trip. I didn't see the trip. I've seen that a lot. Like, I guess, I don't know, like, it constantly shows up in my suggestions on Netflix. Uh, Netflix Instant. I always look at it. I'm like, I don't want to see that. No, it looks horrible. It looks it like looks a... Ugh. Ridiculous. That is exactly the thing I hate when I look at it. It's like, ugh. Yeah, I'm like, why would I ever want to... Like, it just seems like one of these things, like... And maybe you wouldn't... Maybe you'd hate it, but somehow, like, it happened into... Maybe my Twitter feed or some shit. And somebody posted like a minute or two clip of (laughs) one piece of it. And I just, I can't get enough. And then his co-star in it, and I forget his name, does Tiny Man Trapped in a Box. Where am I? What's happening? I'm just a tiny guy trapped in the back of my throat. Who turned off the lights? It's like he compresses the back of his throat and does this tiny guy in the... 
It's just right. fucking hilarious. But but listen to the description on Netflix. I don't want to. It sounds horrible. Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon, Rob Brydon the stars of the 2005 comedy Tristram Shandy, Gentlemen reunite <laughs> with director Michael Winterbottom for this rib-tickling mockumentary about a pair of actors who set off on a foodie road trip across England. That sounds like the worst movie ever made. I'm like, yeah, I don't. How can you? Does not appeal to me. I live one life. I'm living it right now. I'm not going to spend 90 minutes looking and listening to that. I know, man. I know. But you're telling me it's good. Gentlemen to bed. For tomorrow we ride at 9.30-ish. I'm telling you it's good. All right. I'll check it out. I've built it up too much. You're going to hate it. I might. I don't know. Like I'm yeah, probably gonna watch it that I as soon as we're out. finished here. I'm gonna watch it. I'm gonna p- go put it on. So you're gonna watch it again? I think so. Maybe not get through the whole thing, but I'm gonna watch some of it. Okay. At 1906, it's right after Walter says, "You mean so? Just cue it up to like 1901 or 1902 and play All it right. right at 1906." Walter's gonna say, "You mean?" And he has a pause and listen. There's a drip or somebody chewing gum in the soundstage or the room where they re-recorded this dialogue, I think. All right, I'm going to listen. All right. Here it goes. I have a queued up. You mean beyond pair? I heard it. I don't know. I'm going to listen again. You mean beyond pair? I mean, there's a sound there if you really focus in. But it could be anything. Like, there's, like, you know, ambient noise. You hear trucks on the freeway. I mean, I don't know. I mean, granted, the actual source could have been... Because I guess because the way it is... Yeah. I had that same idea. We've talked about how every sound is so intentional. And, like, it's like the dog is right in your ear, like, barking and panting, you know? You can really, like, just put headphones in and zero in on all these sounds. Even with all of that, I would have said, well, whatever. It's some ambient sound from the environment. Fine. It happens again, though, at uh, 1920. There's another one of them. You know what it sounds like? It sounds like a person who's chewing gum and, like, spreads it between their front teeth and makes that, like, tight bubble, and it pops. That's what it sounds like. All right, I'm going to listen to okay. 1920. Next round, Robin. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. Am I wrong? You're not wrong, Walter. You're just an asshole. That's how I didn't hear it. All right, I'm going to listen again. You got to turn it up loud. Next round, Robin. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. Am I wrong? <laughs> you're not wrong. I have it up. Oh, no, I don't have it up all the way. All right. One last time. This is riveting. This makes for riveting podcast. Here we go. Next round, Robin. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. Am I wrong? You're not wrong. I can't hear it. I mean, there's so much noise happening. There's sirens going on. Walter is talking. Dude is like... The 1920s a harder grab. The 1906 is pretty easy to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Instantly, I could hear it. It's, it's the same sound. So whatever is happening, there's like an intern chewing gum. Why that would could or would ever happen, I can't possibly know. 
But here's, I just think like sometimes, like you said, there's so many sounds going on that bullshit can like slide in there. It's sort of like the continuity error where Smokey and the gang all rearranged seats as we cut right. to the other shot. It's it's the equivalent of that in the sound world, I think. It's like sometimes there's just a fucking clock ticking in the background or somebody snapped their gum, you know? Walter also uses another ethnic slur in this scene. Yes. Camel fucker. Yes. So he uses the term Chinaman seconds after he admonishes the dude for using it. He uses the term camel fucker and later on the term kraut. He makes a pretense about caring about being PC, but he doesn't. Re- he's not really. Right. Well, just like the dog, he makes a pretense about caring about that dog. <laughs> but then he leaves it in the parking lot, right? Same thing. Like, it's like he knows what he's supposed to do. He knows what's acceptable behavior. But he just can't bring himself to actually do it if he's, some, like, distracted. Kind of like saying, it's all water under the bridge. About pointing a gun in the face of Smokey like 30 seconds prior to that. Yeah, we're all done with that. It's cool. That's what he should say. He should express a little bit of remorse. That's his idea of that. We're all good now. It's not all good, man. Tapped out. I did it. My name's Adam. Thank you for joining us. And this is Brad. saying good night and please, good luck please follow us on twitter and mail your questions somehow go to gutterballs.tv that's how you do it you'll find it all there the link to the twitter you won't find the tumblr to there contact though us. well maybe by the time you that. hear this maybe by the time this is posted i'll add the link to the tumblr well, i don't think so i mean you know probably not we've had might. nine months I don't think another week is going to make any difference. Oh, well, the Tumblr was there originally. Right, it's just not linked. Oh, it, it was on the got, site? It was on the site. It got it just got lost in the shuffle one day and it has to be put back. Like a little lost like a little lost Thurston. Exactly. Wandering it, off into It's gone from reality. The Tumblr just disappeared. It, it, it's as if it never existed. Swallowed up in the Van Nuys. With that, we lead you to the Boop Dick. Boop. Next time on Gutterballs. A member of your team, Walter Solchak, drew a firearm during league play. 